Today's episode is with the one and only Edmonton-based Jason Greger. And before I dive into the podcast episode today, I want to tell you a little bit about my new online program. How it works is we will have weekly video call meetings. You'll get customized programming from me with video demos linked in to the Google spreadsheet. And once a month, you'll have access to a one-hour session with me via a video call. So if you have a home gym, I will cater it to the equipment you have. If you have limited to no equipment, I will cater it to what you have going on. Like we can innovate, we can create, you don't have to fit in anybody else's box. You have the support of other people in the group along with you. We'll have a private Facebook group. Um, the value is built into this. If you were to train with me one-on-one, -on -one, in person, or on a video call, the rate is much higher. And so this is my offering that enables you to have quicker, easier access to my services in a way that suits these unprecedented times when we don't know what's open and what's closed. Because at the end of the day, being active, feeling good about yourself, feeling empowered is one of the, the things that we have control of. It's about controlling what you can control. I'm going to add in some testimonials from some of my past and present clients just to kind of give you a reason to check me out. Hey guys, my name is Lacintha and I am here to ask you to do yourself a favor and go and try a personal training session with my friend Chris. Chris is an amazing person, human being, somebody who does a lot for our community, somebody who is always working hard to make sure that everybody feels seen, everybody feels special, and he's always looking for ways that he can uplift people. Uh, when I tried personal training with Chris, I found him to be a very compassionate, knowledgeable, empathetic, and positive trainer. He always looked at ways that he could take my niggly, self-doubting um, ways and words and turn them around to make me feel empowered. Um, that's a very big for some, big uh, plus for somebody like me who tends to sometimes be a little hard on myself as some of us do. And I found that when Chris would, I would say something like, oh, this is weak or that is weak. And he'd be like, no, it's not weak. You just did that thing. So that kind of mm, positive enforcement um, was something that I responded very well to. I also found that he knows his stuff, he knows his work, he knows his um, training, he gets to know his clients really well in that he's able to work with your positives, um, he works with your limitations as well. Um, you don't have to be a fit person, you don't have to be somebody who is injury free, um, you don't have to be somebody who has ever stepped foot in a gym. If you've never been to a gym before, or if you've been to a gym all your life, if you've trained with a trainer all your life, or you've never been with a trainer, Chris is your guy because he will work with everybody from a beginner level to somebody who is advanced. Um, he does offer modifications, so if you're not feeling great, it's not your day and things are just, eh. You're not feeling that you know you're feeling the, the the exercise or the workout he's able to offer modifications um, so that you can still do the pose you can still get into the um, target areas um, you can still get the workout even if you're not feeling great 
on the other side, if you're feeling really good and really strong and you're having a really good day, he can modify the activity, modify the exercise, and you can go as far as you want. So my name's Erin. I, I started seeing Chris, it would have been about January, and it's now July, so six or seven months of training with Chris. We started off um, doing like full training sessions virtually. He would send me everything I needed to do, sets and reps, and then we'd check in once a week. And it was pretty independent. Um, he would answer any questions I had. So since January, it's evolved to the point where we've really narrowed down my training to just specific things that I need to work on. Um, so Chris has really met me where I'm at every week. He takes my feedback seriously and he also makes it really fun and he treats all of his clients like human beings and he expects all the same from them. So he has a really great group of people behind him um, and he works really hard um, to gain your respect and, and to build a good relationship with you. So um, I hope everyone that he continues to work with is doing really great and I wish him all the best. Um, he's definitely given me new perspectives and, and better ways to think about a healthy lifestyle being so much more than just exercise. Um, you know, he'll always kind of touch on the mental health piece and work-life balance, time management, good sleep, nutrition. So, yeah, I really respect Chris and I hope he continues to help many, many people. Thanks, Chris. If you would like more information, you can reach out to me directly, chris at invigoratetraining.com or you can contact me on any social media platform or you can go to my website, www.invigoratetraining.com. Thank you. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase, Season 2. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at yegfitness. So welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This is episode 136 and I am joined today by Jason Greger. How are you doing? I'm excellent, Chris. So what's your morning routine? It seems like you get up pretty early. What's the first thing that you do? Um, well, it depends. If I get up on my own, then uh, I just kind of go downstairs and peruse the internet for a little bit. And then I wait for my son to get up. But a lot of times he might wake me up first. So between 630 and 7, usually I'm up. And, and then uh, I get to spend time with him in the morning and we make breakfast and have uh, have fun chats with a six-year-old. <laughs> What's the funniest thing that, uh, that he said recently? Ah. Uh... Oh, he now he kind of the other day he was just like, uh, "Hey, Dad, I think you need to calm down." So <laughs> he just says that uh, he's he's quite fun. He's quite observant. He asks he asks a lot of questions right now, which is which is really good. And we have a lot of fun. We do a lot of physical activities, and 
it's it's a great it's a you know it's a super fun age every age has been fun but uh, this age is a little bit more fun just because he's becoming kind of more interactive and you know asks lots of questions and now he can read everything on his own so you, you can't really pull any punches with him anymore so that's good that's awesome um, so before we dive too far into this episode, for anybody that doesn't know who you are, because Edmonton's going to know who you are, but not necessarily people from like Hawaii, if they're listening, um, if you could give yourself a bit of an elevator pitch, what would it sound like? What like what's you in a nutshell? Uh, I, I think I'm pretty, I got a good life. I'm really lucky. I, uh, um, I'm kind of unique in the sense that uh, I own my own radio show uh, on TSN 1260. It's a sports talk show weekdays from two to six. Um, and basically I just rent my airtime and then go out and get all my advertisers on my show. Uh, Jason Strudwick, former NHLer, is one of my co-hosts as well as Connor Halley. Uh, I also uh, write at uh, ordersnation.com. Uh, so I like to write. So I mix that in and then, uh, you know, married, got a young son who's six and, uh, I like to, uh, we have a family farm, so spend a lot of time out of the farm. Um, probably don't look like it, but I'm very much a farmer. Uh, I know how to birth cows, uh, preg tests, uh, do all that sort of fun stuff. That's awesome. Um, I was doing a bit of quick reading and like your role on the family farm seems to be very uh, meaningful to like who you are. It, it seems to be a grounding experience. Can you expand a bit more on that? Like tell me a bit more about what being on the farm means to you. Well, I love it because, you know, my job now, you're, you know, you're, you're covering pro sports and, you know, it's a very unique playground. And I think that it's, it's not really the reality. I worked in the oil field for many years till I went back to, to radio school and when I was 27. So uh, I think I have a, a good grasp of, you know, what normal people uh, are dealing with and where sometimes, in, you know, in, in the sporting world, you can, you know, some people are just, they're, they're not really in touch with everything that's going on. So going back to the farm is a real grounding thing for me. Uh, you know, the, the cows don't care what you do or who you are. They, they need to be fed or they need to be vaccinated or, or whatever they do. So I, I just like it. It reminds me a lot, you know, of growing up. But we've had the family farm since since I was one year old. So um, that's that's where I grew up. And um, a lot of my best memories uh, with my late father uh, are there. So uh, going back to the farm also uh, reminds me of him. And, and now I get to take my son and, and he gets to experience, you know, farm life. I think I think it's good. Just you, you learn how to work and uh, you know, he's, he's gardening, he's helping clean up and, and, you know, helps feed the cows in the wintertime and different things like that, that I just think, you know, for me, it, it build a good base of, of what hard work is, because at the end of the day, uh, I find if you want to be successful in anything you do in life, it's usually those who are hardworking. I, like there's some, you know, I hear God given talent. Well, you might have some talent, but if you don't work at it, at improving that and, and increasing it, it doesn't really matter. So uh, hard work at the end of the day in any occupation, the people that are most successful are usually the ones who work the hardest. Definitely. And so if you could correlate something that you've learned in your times on the farm to your career as like a, like a self-employed uh, radio host, like not many people have their own broadcasting company the way you do, do they? No, it's pretty rare for sure. Uh, and I like to be honest, I didn't even think it was a possibility when I went to radio school or anything. I didn't have a business background. I guess kind of got an Excel spreadsheet and figured it out. Sat down with my mom one day and said, "Okay, this is how much money I got to bring in because this is what I got to take out." And kind of you know just went from there. But you know, a, a lot of it is you, you can't get frustrated. Um, you know, at the farm, every, every day is new. I've, I'm somebody who like I don't. 
like I don't love having the exact same thing every day. I think like anybody, I have certain um, routines that I enjoy, but my show is very different every day. I don't get bored by it. There's new guests. You're asking new questions every day. There's always a different story. You can't predict how a game's going to be. So, you know, I like that. And really at the farm, like for instance, in calving season, you, you know, you don't know exactly which cow is going to have a problem. And thankfully most don't, but uh, when they do, you kind of got to, you know, ad lib and, you know, I've had to do some things under stress over times with cows. You know, we had one, I had to drag it out from a snowbank and keep it in the tub for six hours, slowly warming it up so it didn't freeze and it lived. So you just kind of, you know, you can't get scared over that stuff. Like I always wanted to be a vet when I was a kid and I didn't, uh, I never did it. So I've, I've taken a few little minor courses so I know how to preg test and stuff like that. But, um, you know, the, the farm life really is just an encapsulation of every day you got to get up and give your best because if you don't do it the work's not going to get done yeah well i like that correlation because then anybody can relate to that no matter where they're at in in their life or what what industry they're in um you kind of alluded to your big career shift when you're like 27 or so so tell me a bit more about that what happened in your life there well, I finished playing just, you know, low level junior hockey. And when I was 20, it was lots of fun, but like I was never going anywhere. I never, I never thought about that. My older brother played minor pro for many years. He was a much better player. Um, and so when I was, you know, I'd worked in the oil field and then uh, I did go to, uh, to Nate, geez, when I was probably 23 or four, there's this, or no, actually maybe 21. Uh, there was this health, safety and environment technology program where they actually paid you to go to school. You got paid an hourly rate while you're there. Like I didn't really have much interest in it, but I thought I should go to school. So I did that. And it really wasn't my thing. Um, no, it wasn't that challenging at all for me. So I ended up uh, working at a place called Premium Oil Field Inspection. I ended up doing ultrasonic testing for uh, for downhole drill pipe. And, um, you know, it was, it was a really good job for, for a long time. Um, you know, I made a lot of money doing it. I was lucky enough to save most of it. So, um, but it just, it wasn't my thing. Uh, one day, I guess a quick short story. Uh, the reason I quit eventually was uh, I was working in, um, in a place, Killam, Alberta. And usually I was the operator of my own. So I got my own hotel room, but in the summertime they would downsize. So you had to share a room. And so I had to share a room with a guy. And, and the first night I fell asleep early, no problem. But the second night, I was up, I, I was watching playoff hockey, I think. And uh, he was sleeping and I never heard anybody snore like that in my life. And so, you know, all night I'd throw pillows at him, didn't stop. And so finally at like 4.35 in the morning, I took my duvet off, went in the bathroom, laid on the floor, like a, made a sleeping bag under the sink and just laid there. And I remember looking up and saying, man, there's there's gotta be more to life than this. I don't wanna be here for the, for the rest of my life. And I was single at the time, I didn't have kids. So it was kind of easier. To, to make that change when you, you're not responsible or you, you have bills, you know, I just had a mortgage and, you know, I'd saved up money. So it was fine. So I basically went home and my mom was very educated. She's got her doctorate and everything. And I just said, Hey, I want, this is what I want to do. I've always kind of wanted to be a, a sports broadcaster. Or at least had a lot of people tell me that's something I was good at. So I went, uh, I just went to Nate and signed up and I actually had to take college prep courses for the first uh, semester just to get up a few of my, my grades. Cause it's pretty competitive to get in and, and then I got in and started in, in January of 2000. And, you know, it's, uh, it's been an unreal 20 years since then. It's gone by really fast and it's uh, led me to places I never really thought possible. I thought I would always have to go to a smaller market to start out, but I kind of lucked out and got to work with John Short right in Edmonton and I've never left. 
That's awesome. Uh, going back to school at that point and having to do like those those college prep courses, stuff like that, like, were there any doubts in your mind or were there any naysayers around you? Well, a lot of the people I work with, um, because a lot of guys had tried to get out of the oil field. And and, and I think it's difficult because you, you just get used to, you know, at that time, the money and it's a routine. And um, so, uh, you know, I left in what it was September to go back to, to school. And a lot of them were like, oh, you'll be back. And I had a good relationship with with the uh, the owners of the company. And I told them, I said, hey, like, I'd love to work here for a month over Christmas. And then in the summertime, because I could make good money and I knew how to do everything. And so they really encouraged me. But th- there was a few guys at work who said, hey, you'll be back. But, you know, I've, I've met a lot of them years later. And, you know, they're all pretty excited that, you know, kind of went from the oil field to what I'm doing now. So, you know, you're always going to have naysayers, but that didn't bother me. I didn't, you know, I, I was more so my own. You're your own worst critic or you're your biggest supporter. At the end of the day, if you don't believe in yourself, no one else is going to. So I just, I, I taken some pictures actually from work and I put them up in, in my uh, room, at, at, you know, where I lived at the time. And, and it wasn't because, you know, I didn't disrespect that lifestyle at all. I, I had a lot of respect for it. And I saw how hard it was for, for married guys to be working away sometimes. Like, you know, you'd leave November 1st and you'd come home December 23rd and leave again on December 26th. And that's really tough. You know, like my, my parents were around and I didn't want that lifestyle for me. And, you know, I didn't have kids at the time, but I was hoping that I would in the future. So that was another big reason. Like it, it didn't fulfill me um, it didn't challenge me educating at all after a while. Like I used to hope something would go wrong with the pipe because then at least you could figure it out. Um, so, and it wasn't, you know, it just wasn't for me. Um, it's a tough job for a lot of people, but it wasn't for me. And so um, I, I, you know, I had a few naysayers, but I had a lot of people who were like, man, you know, you'll be good at this because, you know, I've, I've always was always reading the paper. Like they kind of joked with me. I read both papers every day. Um, you know, I've got a really good memory for, for stats and different things like that. And you know, I kind of have the gift of gab, I guess, from a young age. So, you know, a lot of people thought I was kind of made to do what I'm doing now. So that was good. Well, that's awesome. Um, in doing the program, did you continue to have that kind of like self-belief in getting your first job? You just kind of like push forward or what was that process like? Let's say like the first couple of weeks after you graduated. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not naturally a person. I'm not a big worrier. I don't, I don't really worry about the negative. I don't look for a negative outcome most times. I'll just think that, hey, you know, something that something that I need to happen will happen. Um, when I was in school, though, in my third semester, uh, you know, you need a break. Everybody needs a break sometime. And I got a break in my third semester of school where um, one of the guys who was graduating, he was doing on-site stuff for John Short's show. So he just needed an on-site uh, engineer guy. You know, John was, you know, at that time in his late 60s, I think, and, you know, wasn't wasn't suddenly going to learn all the new technology <laughs> so he just needed someone young who could set up all this stuff so uh, i would go there my job was i was only going to work on the oiler home games which i think there was about 15 of them had left at that time or 16 because i started in january of 2001 and um rob kerr uh who was his regular guy got sick for a month so i went to school every day and then i worked every weeknight uh, with john and I ended up, I was supposed to have a practicum at Ched, and then John at the end said, well, why don't you do it with me? And I was like, great. So I uh, switched and, and did it with him, and I just got the opportunity to do a lot of stuff. So I never, I didn't really have to apply for a job per se. Um, I had my practicum, and then when my practicum was over, you know, John, uh, uh, who was actually owning his own show at the time on uh, Oldies 1260, uh, he just said, well, hey, if you want to work for me, we can do it, but, 
you know, you're going to have to learn how to do some sales to make some extra money and stuff. So you kind of were like, okay. So I, I didn't know how to do sales. So I went along in a few sales calls with uh, Bob Suter at the time, who was our sales manager and just kind of worked out from there. Like I, I do all my own sales now. I'm still not sold that I'm a great salesman. I just try to be honest with people and I, I don't like to oversell. I just say, Hey, this is my show. This is who my audience is. And this is why I think your company will, will benefit from partnering up with me. And you know, it's worked out. So I never, I never had the self doubt. Like I always, I had kind of blinders on in a way when I was in school, I, I never wanted to be like a DJ on the bear or Virgin radio or anything like that. And it's not just because it's like, I'm not, I, I can sing along to a lot of songs. I don't know who sings the song, right? Like my wife still bugs me about it. I sing along. She's like, who sings that? I have no idea. So I just, and I can remember lots of stuff, but music was just not, you know, I didn't didn't care. Like I wasn't somebody who who had lots of tapes growing up or, you know, vinyl or anything. And just because I didn't I never liked one band enough to want to buy a whole album. Right. So I used to get those mixtapes of dance 99 or whatever it was. But uh, so I kind of was like, I'm going to be in sports. That's what I wanted to do. So I, I didn't, this kind of sounds bad, but I didn't spend a lot of time becoming good as a DJ in school. Like we had to, you had to do shifts where you were on NR92, the, the radio station at Nate. And, you know, you had to practice your ins and outs and come up with cool stuff. And I was like, I was average at best at doing that. And, and I just said, guys, like, this isn't what I'm going to do. Like, I'm not going to get into radio so I can be a DJ. That's not, I don't want to do that. And so you can't, I think you have to be honest with yourself and know what you want to do and, and not like you, now I'm very flexible. When I got into sports, I was willing to do anything as long as it was related to sports. It didn't matter to me, but I wasn't going to be a, a disc jockey. Cause I just, I didn't think I had the skill set to do that. So why lie to myself? Yeah. I like that. And then you did a perfect segue to another topic I want to talk about. Cause you talk about sports and how you're willing to to work with sports, aside from hockey, what are some other stuff that you've uh, done broadcasting for or done done any work for? Well, when I started out uh, with John, we were on the radio, and then we started uh, uh, AnySportAnyTime.com, which uh, used to broadcast uh, all the games. So I did uh, junior hockey games, and I uh, also did junior football games back for the Huskies and the, and the Wildcats, and uh, you know won a few uh, championships calling the Husky games. So like they were a really good team, so that was a lot of fun. And then in, uh, in 2006, I was on the radio and uh, the Edmonton Rush got an expansion team for pro, pro lacrosse, indoor lacrosse in Edmonton. And I, lit, I walked up to, uh, to Bruce Urban, the owner, and uh, do, you know, I, I kind of look back at it and laugh, but I, I walked up to Bruce and I shook his hand. I said, hi, Bruce, Jason Greger, I'm going to be your play-by-play guy. And he kind of looked at me and I, you know what, I didn't know anything about lacrosse, but I wanted, I'd been doing play-by-play and I wanted to do it. And uh, I remember Bruce a few years later told me, goes, that, that confidence kind of sold it on me. It was, you know, so they didn't really do a, you know, I was working on TSN at the time. So like I knew that they would want to partner up with the all sports station. Right. So um, it just kind of worked out. And so I ended up doing uh, play by play for lacrosse for 10 years. And I absolutely loved it. It's a fast game. It's a quick game. Great guys to, to deal with from, you know, players and coaches and, you know, Derek Keenan, uh, him and I are still really good friends and, and you know, over the years, Jimmy Quinlan, lots of other guys, Kevin Howard, et cetera, that I met. And, you know, it was fun. Like I loved it. And I like I really didn't know much about lacrosse, to be honest. And I just had to immerse myself in it and ask a lot of questions from the players and coaches and about strategy. And, you know, and play by play is a little bit different. You like you have to know the basics of the game, but your color guy can fill in more of the real intricate details. And so I made sure that I had like a lacrosse player as, as our color guy. 
uh, over the years and it worked out really well. So yeah, I've done that and you know, I cover everything. I love basketball. Um, you know, I, I grew up like I was a huge baseball fan. I'm not, not so much anymore. I find it's a little too slow, but uh, the NFL and CFL, obviously I covered the Eskimos. Like that was kind of my first gig with John is I got to be like the beat reporter for his show covering the Eskimos. And that was my first ever show was the gridiron show once a week where I would interview just an Eskimo player, just about life and not necessarily about football. And so that actually really helped me because then the players, they kind of gained a trust in me because I got to know them as a more than a player, just more as a person. And uh, that opened the door to getting a lot more insight into the game. And, you know, if you ever needed to break stories and stuff, it would help. So I've kind of covered, I've ran the gamut, like hockey, obviously it was the sport I probably played the most. So I knew it the most, but you know, I, I, I like to learn new things and lacrosse and basketball and football and, you know, mixed martial arts. I've done, uh, I ended up doing uh, some play by play and, and color commentary on mixed martial arts. Uh, Mark Pavlich for MFC uh, brought me in and, you know, that was a lot of fun. We ended up doing, you know, those broadcasts on uh, HDNet in the States all over the world. So, you know, I've been really lucky and got to do a lot of different sports. Well, that's awesome. And especially like the, the lacrosse aspect, I think it's kind of one of the, one of one of the most underappreciated uh, sports franchises that we've had in Edmonton. Like, I don't think some people realized how good they were. <laughs> oh man, they left at the wrong time. Like that was such a travesty for for Edmonton sports fans for them to to lose that team. You know, the orders could have purchased them. They offered them at a bargain basement price, and you know, I don't think the mayor of Edmonton at the time, uh, you know, did his due diligence to understand how important that was for for lacrosse. Like, you, you want your city to be more than just one sports team, and uh, it is too bad because you know, like, luckily for fans in in Saskatchewan and Saskatoon, like. The, the rush had won their final year. They won the league and then they've won it three times since. So, you know, you, you had had a powerhouse team for a long time and, you know, it's only eight home games. It wasn't, it wasn't going to take away from Oiler fans. So I've never really understood why, like t too often, I think in Canada, we're a little bit narrow minded on, you know, hockey's got to be the only sport. And, you know, thankfully with the, the increase in, in both men and women, you know, dominating in basketball as Canadians at the NBA level and the WNBA and, you know, in soccer, Alfonso Davies. And so, you know, kids are, are realizing, yeah, hockey's a great sport. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't have to be the only sport for Canadians to play. Definitely. Um, what is something that stands out to you with like something that you were involved in, like a, a sports event, something that happened, something that you'll never forget? Can you think of like a memory or two that just uh, sticks with you? Uh, there's a few. I, I did the uh, an AJHL playoff game in in Camrose one time that, uh, and they actually gave me a, a really nice uh, memento for it. It was the it was the longest game in Alberta Junior Hockey League history. It went like five overtimes, and you know you're calling that game, and you know even and I wasn't even playing the game, but even calling it after you're into like the fourth period of overtime, you're like, jeez, getting a little tired here. So, uh, but you know my my voice held up, which which was great. Um, so I, re I remember that one. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I, I remember vividly still the rush, their inaugural season where they, you know, they're an expansion team and they struggled. They went one and 15, but their only win came in Calgary and uh, Cam Bergman, kind of an unheralded guy, scored with one second left in regulation and uh, they won the game. <laughs> so and it was literally it was like they won the, the you know, the cup at that point, because it doesn't matter when you play, you know, you're a pro, you want to win. So, you know, that game stands out. And I, I think just because I was involved, you're a little bit more involved when you're, you're doing play by play or color commentary than you are when you're just, you know, reporting on the game. So I would probably have to say those two. 
Yeah, and that makes sense. I think it's uh, cool to dive down that rabbit hole a bit because a lot of people assume it'll be um, something from hockey, like just NHL hockey. And a lot of, in my experiences so far, a lot of my best memories and in, in the things that I do are like some of the some of the smaller but more impactful things in life. Just the the things that uh, meant more, like at the heart, kind of thing. If if I can get a little bit hippy dippy here, sort of thing. But um, with that being said, you are very involved in philanthropy. A lot of a lot of hard work on your part. So tell me a bit more about that. What inspires you to do the things that you do in giving back to others? Um, I, I think a little bit of it just, you know, it's kind of, I guess, in, in my nature, a, a bit somewhat. Um, I've always, from a young age, my mom told me I always, you know, looked out for others, you know, was very empathetic uh, towards animals at the farm, even, you know, as a beginning there. But um, I, I kind of stumbled into it a little bit on my show where, you know, just one December, I felt like, you know what, I think, you know, I've got a platform now, my show is growing, I, th- I think maybe we can do stuff. So I came up with an idea called the month of giving uh, in December, where my goal was to raise $25,000 that month and help out the Christmas Bureau and Santa's Anonymous and, and a few other uh, charities. And so I decided, you know, I put out some phone calls to people I knew and and uh, got packages that I would just, they were all donated 100%. And then we would auction them off in my show and, and everything we raised would go to the charity. And so the, you know, the first day, so this was in, uh, I think, 2010, uh, or sorry, 2000 and uh, Christmas of 2010. And, uh, um, you know, Taylor Hall and Jordan Everly were on the team and I'd gotten to know them. And I just said, hey, do you guys mind giving me a signed jersey? And they're like, yeah, sure. I told them what it was for. Um, we put together a dinner package at the Pint and, um, and that was it. And two guys ended up bidding each six grand. Like I had one package, but they were bidding so high. I was like, we'll do two for 6,000. I didn't, you know, I had to call back and ask for another order jersey. But of course they were like, what? You made how much? I'm like, yeah, I know. So we raised 12 grand the first day. So I was like, oh, I think we'll get to 25. And we ended up having 55,000 that day. And um, it just kind of went from there. Like I I do that every year now. And we've raised almost a million bucks just in that. Um, The MS bike tour, um, I started doing that kind of as a gag uh, with Mike Sobel. They had asked me to make it a friendly competition. And, you know, that turned out to be a good way to raise money. And I just come up with different ideas that that people, I think a lot of people want to help out and donate. They just, they, they need to be reminded or you got to come up with a unique package that makes them want to do it. Where we do the ultimate sports fan package on my show where we raise, you know, 12,500. There's a hundred entries. It's 125 bucks an entry and one person wins. We do a reverse draw. Now you can buy four entries if you want for 500 bucks. And we just do a reverse draw entry live on the show during the day. And the winning person wins like season would win season tickets to the Eskimos. You know, they would win uh, uh, behind the scenes pass to the orders home opener that year and a tour of the building and dinner at the rink, like stuff you can't necessarily just go out and buy kind of unique packages. I would get some signed like, you know, game uh, use sticks from a player or different things like that and dinner packages. And, and usually it was worth, you know, the total package was worth around five grand or so. And, you know, you basically had a one in a hundred chance to win, but it would sell out in a day because I think a lot of people like, you know, it's kind of like gambling in a, in a fun way. And if you lose, well, all your money, well, regardless, all your money is going to charity. Right. So you just do stuff like that. And then in 2014, I started my own foundation, um, the Gregor Foundation and kind of did it in honor of my father. My father grew up uh, in, in a fairly poor family, um, didn't have a lot. And, and my dad was never one to spend money on himself ever. And um, 
I had seen Cinderella's Closet, and what they did was they supplied dresses for high school girls who couldn't afford it for their graduation. And I thought that was a really cool idea, but I was like, well, boys work just as hard, and they want to look just as good. And my audience was predominantly male, so uh, we started the foundation where we now supply brand new suits, shirts, ties, shoes, um, you know, accessories for, for high school grads. And uh, we've done that now for five years. And I team up with Mr. Dirk. And uh, so they order a lot of the stuff through suppliers. So we get it at a, at a better rate. And so, uh, you know, I, I fundraise that ATB financials now a big title sponsor of that, uh, which is great. And then uh, any any excess, uh, my wife and I put in uh, usually $5,000 of our own money. And then that's a big fundraiser for me kind of for the year. And that's what we do. And I just, I just think it's, uh, I just think it's important to, uh, to want to help out other people. And I find, you know, the feedback from, uh, from my listeners is, is always positive. And uh, a lot of them want to help. And, you know, the biggest compliment I've probably had in the last five or six years is people will email me and say, Hey, Gregor, um, you know what? Uh, I trust your opinion. Cause I do my research on which charities I want to partner up with. I like ones that have a low administration fee. So, you know, the majority of the money that we raise is going to people that need it. It's not going to somebody working in the office. So, you know, I like the companies that have like a 24 to 26% uh, admin fee, right? I understand you got to spend some money to, to make money. I understand it, but anything that's too high, I, I prefer not to deal with them because I don't want to raise 10 grand, but only five of it's going to the charity and the other five is going to people in the office. I don't really like that. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, on the topic of the the MS fundraiser, I know that they took a, a bit of a hit with COVID-19 and everything. Um, what what What's your thoughts on that? Just like open book. Well, like... Yeah, that's, you know what, there's, that's just the reality of 2020. It sucks for, for so many things. You know, there's a lot of charities that I think are we're going to take hits. There's a lot of individuals, though, now that, you know, unemployment rate in, in Alberta and in Edmonton specific is pretty high. So, you know, it's it, there's going to be some lean times now for a lot of people, I think, for sure. And, you know, if you have the opportunity, you know, 10, 15, 20 bucks, if everybody can, you know, do that uh, around, the, you know, the city and surrounding areas, it makes a big difference for a lot of people. And so, you know, I, I would just recommend to anybody, if, if you're going to do that, make sure you do some research on, on which charity you're helping. So, you, you know, you have ones that uh, have low administration costs and so they can help more people. But, you know, the MS bike is, is a phenomenal, uh, they're, they're just a great foundation to work with. Um, the, the, the staff members over the year that I've dealt with are, are so incredibly friendly. They go above and beyond. I, I see how they work with people with MS and, and they're just a fun group. Like the MS bike is a lot of fun. The MS walk that they do, they, they really try to, you know, they, they go out of their way to thank the people who take the time to do the ride. And, and, and I think that stuff's really important. So, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. There's not much you can really do about it because, you know, people, when you, when you've lost your job and suddenly, you know, you maybe don't have an extra hundred or 200 or whatever the money is to, to donate, it's, you know, it's going to impact everybody. So I think in the next year, we're, we're probably going to have to find ways to look out for each other even more. Definitely. And I mean, we kind of talked about like sort of pivoting in such a way as, some people's lifestyles are changing. Some people are finding new ways to do the things that they previously did. With COVID-19, did your lifestyle change or were you able to keep some structure? What was your experience like? Well, I've been doing my show from home every day since. and But to me, it's kind of like doing a live remote. I've done remotes at On The Rocks and car dealerships for years. So, you know, it's the same equipment. I just, you know, you get a line put in your house and, 
and now it's fine. So it's actually, a, you know, a little bit more convenient in the sense that I don't have to drive in and out of the station. You know, there was the odd day I was just still wearing my pajama pants, which isn't ideal. So, um, but, you know, so from that aspect, it's been okay. Obviously, from a sponsorship aspect, it, it took a big hit. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, some of my title sponsors was a casino. Well, they closed down, or not by choice, but just because of the rules. So, you know, you kind of had to pivot. Uh, the positive of it was really on my show, I like doing in-depth, long interviews with with people and, and learning more about them. And so we came up with a segment called Storytime and where we get former athletes and, and even some current ones and just talk about their journey and their path. And the listeners really liked it. I liked it. It's been a lot of fun. So, you know, obviously it's great with hockey coming back. Don't get me wrong. And the NBA and everybody's playing sports because that's what I love. But I really like that. And that's something that we're going to keep as part of the show uh, moving forward now. So like anything, I think you – when adversity rises, there's two ways to deal with it. You can you can get upset and you can have kind of a woe is me attitude and, and you can let it just, you know, bang you down slowly. Or you can just say, you know what, like I, I have two choices here. I can uh, I can I can adapt. And yeah, it'll be challenging and it might not be what I'm used to. But to me, that that's kind of fun and interesting. So we had to look at different ways and, you know, whether it came to sponsorships or whether it came to guests on the show and topics we talked about. We came up with a movie watch party that we would do every Tuesday uh, night with our listeners because they had like usually we would talk about the games on our show. So this way we just did it on uh, Twitter and people would talk on Twitter about movies. And so they'd vote on the movie to watch for that week. And you know, it was a small way to connect with people. And so it, it came fine. It's just I'm I've always been one who, you know, I, I've been OK at, at dealing with change in my life. Um, you know, my father passed away suddenly when I was in school at, at, at Nate. And, you know, that you know, so I had no choice. And me and my mom were like, OK, well, we're going to still run the farm. So we just had to change. Right. And what, what could we do? So I had I couldn't live there. I couldn't feed the cows every day like him. So we had to go out and. We got a big 30 by 30 feeder so I could put in uh, 20 round bales on a Saturday and it would last for two weeks, right? And then the feeder would just kind of collapse as they ate. So, you know, that was totally different. And you, ju you just have to adapt to the situation. It's hard, but I think we're much more adaptable as, as a species than people think. And you can, you can let something overwhelm you or you can take a deep breath and just say, you know what? I got this. And if, if, you, if you have the ability to... To, to not get too worried about it and don't get overwhelmed and don't read all negative stories. Like after a while, I was like, I don't, I don't need to hear more about COVID. I know what's going on. Like, I'm not stupid. Like don't, uh, don't go to big parties and, you know, try to be responsible. And so it's still going to be around, but we got to live with it. So I've, I just, I've always taken a mindset and, and not necessarily purposely. I just, that's my personality that I never got, you know, too stressed out when negative things happen in my well, I think that's an important lesson and a reminder for like even me. Like sometimes you control what you can control. Like we can't help that there's a pandemic, but we can help what's on our mind today and we can help which direction we're moving. Um, you talk a lot about connection, which is something that I really relate to. Like I think that's a big driver as to why I do the job I do, why I interview people on podcasts. Um, when it comes to professional athletes, what's What's a meaningful connection that you made in a conversation that you didn't anticipate and what made that so meaningful? Well, a lot of them's happened recently in story time, but I, you know, I could go back even to when my first show, when I did the gridiron show where um, we talked football with guys like Albert Reese, who's just a, an enormous human being. He was a defensive lineman, like 290 pounds. And, you know, he just was telling funny stories about his family running a funeral parlor. 
and how he had to used to go and drive the hearse and, and pick up dead bodies, right? And and one time the lid popped open and freaked out some people, right? And so you know, those are funny stories. I had a, a former player uh, on my show. We were talking just about you know dating and 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 he kind of broke down on the show and his girlfriend had just dumped him and and he was like really upset about it and it kind of caught me off guard. I was like, oh my. God, like this guy's really kind of putting himself out there. I was like, okay, I have respect for that. And so we ended up talking about it. And and he was afterwards, he's like, yeah, sorry, man, I didn't expect that to happen. And just I was like, well, sometimes you need to get it off your chest. So no better way than just throw it out there to the world, I guess, at the time. So uh, and then recently uh, we we had Mark Fraser on, and of course uh, with, with Black Lives Matter, and, and he told stories. Uh, you know, he's biracial. Um, you know, he's, as he says, he's half black, he's half white. So he kind of relates to, to both sides. But, you know, because he has dark skin, you know, a lot of people think he's black. And you know, he, he had to deal with uh, racism. He had to deal with, you know, people kind of looking at him sideways because, uh, you know, his wife is white. And, and you know, it was it was pretty powerful. And, and he was so eloquent in his words. And he, and he really, I think, made you think. And then, and then George Larac, who I've known for years, and, you know, George and I kind of become friends he's a, like anybody who's ever met george he's a pretty funny guy and he uh on my show we were just talking about you know him enduring racism and and his parents didn't even want to go to his games so he kind of rode his bike to his games but he also talked and he opened up that his father was abusive when he was young and it was it was really powerful because there's so many listeners who were texting into the show and and I never had to deal with that, my father, thankfully. But, you know, I, I have empathy for it. I, I know a lot of people that have. And that when you can get into those real life stories and, and people can hear how how somebody that maybe they look up to or just somebody else that they know is like, oh, they went through the same thing. And this is how he dealt with it. And, you know, I asked George about like, when was the moment when you maybe stood up to your father? And he uh, he just said that, you know, when I was 16 years of age and that was the time. And so he uh, he did it. And then his father never hit him again. Right. And he was a big, you know, it was pretty big at that time for George at 16. It was like 6'2 or 6'3. But still, it t- takes a lot of courage to have to stand up to, to, to a father and say enough's enough. And so that, that was a really powerful one that stands out for sure. Well, I mean, a lot of people that uh, go a long length in, in, their, in their career or in any of their goals have been through a lot of stuff. Like they've had to put up with a lot of stuff. Um, can you think of times in your career, like your, your mindset is very like forward moving. You don't waste too much time with any of your obstacles, but like, has there been anything that's just stopped you in your tracks and like made you, made you a bit hesitant or made you a bit, uh, just self-conscious or anything like that? Um, yeah, that's a good question. You always, you have little things uh, here and there. I don't know if I've ever, had anything that just kind of stopped me in my track. There was a while with social media, um, you know, you get a lot of interactions from people. You end up arguing with some troll and you're like, afterwards, I'm like, what am I wasting my time with? You know, why do I, you know, eventually the best advice, I just, I read a lot of books. And so I read a book that said, um, why would you take uh, criticism from someone that you would never ask advice from? And, and that and that really resonated with me. And it was just like, you know what? It's totally true. Like you can criticize me all you want, but your opinion doesn't matter to me, right? Because you don't, this person or, you know, some random person who has no expertise in in how to write an article or or be on the radio, they don't really know what they're talking about. So they can express their opinion, but it's kind of an uninformed one. So if if I wouldn't ask them for advice, why would I care that much about their criticism? And so ever since then, you know, it's, it's been a lot better. Like sure, every now and then you still wanna, you know, tell somebody off on the internet because you know some people are just like i don't i don't really like 
you know, I'll stand up for myself and I don't have a problem with it. And, you know, I'll tell somebody like, you know, you're, this is why you're incorrect. I try to do it in a more mature fashion maybe than I did seven or eight years ago. <laughs> but, um, for, for the most part, it's, it's, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't get to me nearly as much anymore. And, uh, that's, I just kind of remind myself, you know what, you can read the comment away you go and then move on because, you know, that person, like I, I've never one that would just reach out to someone I've never met. Even if I watch, like I watch a lot of shows, I would listen to a lot of radio shows. I, I would never just reach out to someone randomly and, uh, and want to rip them about something of their opinion. It's just not, was never in my nature. So I'm always kind of like, man, that, that person must either, they must want attention. They must be really frustrated or angry in life. And it's not really about me. It's more so about them. For sure. I mean, the internet makes people so brave. Like, would they actually go up to somebody in person and say some of the things that they say? And the other thing is looking at some of the accounts, I'll see some of the troll comments that people make on different other people accounts. And like, it's like they created that account just to be a troll. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> they can't even show their yeah, face. Uh, the time. Yeah, I, I always um, I ask someone, I'm like, if, if you're if you're that strong in your convictions, why are you anonymous? Right? Like yeah. you should be proud. You should be proud. And it's okay to disagree with someone. You can strongly disagree with someone, but you should be courageous. You should be proud enough to put your name to it. So, cause if you believe that strongly in it, then you shouldn't be embarrassed by it. So now we're going to jump into your role with Oilers nation. Um, how did that come to be? I think Oilers nation is like super cool and just how they've grown over the years. So tell me a bit more about that. Well, it's kind of interesting. I, it happened in 2007. Um, just out of the blue, uh, Clark and Jay, who are the uh, the owners of uh, of the nation, they um, they reached out to me and we said, "Hey, we'd like you to write for us." And so we met uh, at a restaurant and we chatted. And, and at that point, I'd be I'd owned my radio show for a few years, and I guess I kind of got the entrepreneurial bug a little bit. So I, I was interested in writing for them. I, I'd, I'd done some writing before in Edmonton sports scene, and you know, kind of you know, small papers. Just you kind of have to work your way up. And so you know, I felt like I could write. And um, I, I had good access. And so I was getting frustrated at times because I would I would have good topics on my show. And then I would see two days later, someone listen to the show would write about it. So I was like, you know what? I think I want to write about my own stuff. And that's normal. Like they just hear it. Like a lot of people, you, you take someone's idea and then you make it your own. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Um, you know, as you're not plagiarizing and they were never doing that. But um, so, you know, I went to them and they asked me to write. And I said, well, I'd be very interested in writing as long as I can. Can I buy in? And uh so I bought in at 20% and um, just cause I felt like I'd have more of a say and then I knew what was going on and we'd kind of help build it. And so, so that's kind of where it got started. And then um, like Clark's the, the real tech person, like he's, you know, he, he, he knows how to, you know, like build a site and, and all the backdoor stuff, which like I'm clueless, you know, I'm not writing code or anything like that. Right. I don't have that expertise at all. And uh, so that, you know, he, he would help out and look to oversee that. And then Jay's the business guy and, you know, he had a, a background in, in how to kind of build businesses. Uh, you know, he'd worked in the banking industry for many years. So it was good, good partnership. And so it's, it's been a lot of fun, you know, expanded probably like, you know, those guys have big dreams and it's good to partner up with people that, that you learn from and that uh, you get along with and that are, they're, you know, they've like Clark, especially and, and Jay, like those guys are kind of fearless in business. Like I don't have the same business acumen necessarily as they do. And so I, I like watching what they do and learning from it. And so it's kind of, you know, it's expanded us into a lot of different areas, which has been uh, extremely fun. And, 
you know, it, it's good. It's uh, like I wanted to write. I wanted to be under my name. I didn't want to be uh, you know, anonymous for anyone. It wasn't going to benefit me at all. And so, um, you know, I, I don't do the zany stuff that, that some of the writers do on there. I, you know, because that's you, you got to stick to who you are and, and what you're true to. And so like I, I can have fun and everything, but I'm not I can't make memes. I'm not the artistic guy who's going to do Photoshop or anything like I just I don't have that ability. I'm, I'm envious. I wish I did. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, are there two things that you can think of that you've learned from those guys? Oh man, lots. I've, uh, um, you know, I, I think you learn a lot of different things. Um, you know, from, uh, from, from those guys, just, you know, a, a lot of different things like in business and okay. So, cause my show is, is very different, right? Because I, it's not a brick and mortar. Right. And, and even on the Internet, it wasn't necessarily brick and mortar. But with them, it's, it's learning out how to how to want to build that company and, and, and buy up uh, other sites. And so, you know, now we own hockey fights and daily face off and NHL numbers. And so you learn kind of how to how to do it, expansion into a, uh, I wouldn't say takeovers because you didn't take it over. You just were expanding your, your brand and, and making it bigger. And then uh, from that, uh, obviously, uh, you know, they're involved in Oodle Noodle. Uh, which is a totally different thing. And that's very brick and mortar and where your margins are extremely uh, important from a day to day and how, you know, your margins are going to change huge if all of a sudden you're ordering too much food, right? And, and it gets wasted. So, you know, th those are things like there's not, I didn't have that really in my business in, in radio because I, I didn't have where if, if I got too many advertisers, it was going to hurt me, right? So so you, you, you learn a lot of different things that, that I'm interested in and um, and, and we feed off each other quite well, you know, we have our meetings and then we'll go months where we don't, don't really have to talk business. We just talk about life. And, uh, so it's really, it's been really good. It's been, it's been a lot of fun and, and I've learned a lot, uh, over the last, I guess, what is that 12, 13 years being associated with those guys. That's awesome. Um, so I've noticed that, uh, fitness plays a pretty prevalent role in your life. Like, can you tell me more about that? Well, I, you know. I never worked out when I was younger, really. I didn't, uh, um, I, I look back at pictures and I, there was a time like the, the most I ever was, I think I was like 209 pounds, which is not, not a really good look on me. Right. It kind of had a, a little bit of a fat face at the time. And so, uh, I never really worked out. My brother worked out, you know, he played hockey. He worked out all the time. Like I think I lifted weights like, you know, one summer for, for four months, for four weeks once in my life. And that was it. But I just, I wanted to get healthier. And so I, I started um, training it at a place called Spark Sport Conditioning that uh, Kim Layton runs. And uh, that was on the south side. And actually, no, that's not true. I started with Johnny Sinclair first at uh, World Health because I, I wanted to put in a, a workout feature into my show. And so I felt like the only way to do that was if I was working out. I could ask better questions if I was doing it every day. So, uh, you know, John's gone on to really big things now in the States. He's an awesome trainer. And then when he left, I went to Spark. And that was, you know, it was more CrossFit. It was, it was a little bit, it's a different type of workout. It was more intense, which was good to me. You kind of push yourself. You know, you can feel completely exhausted and spent after that. And so it just kind of expanded and, and worked out. And um, then I moved away, though. For, I moved to, to the West End, and it was just, it didn't make sense to drive all the way to the south side. And it, like when you work out, it's got to be somewhat convenient or otherwise it's just you're not going to happen. Like and, unless you're a diehard maybe and you want to drive 45 minutes or an hour to a gym, that's that's not me. So um, so expanded and now, you know, work out at uh, uh, Custom Fit with Jeff and those guys. And I just it's important that you feel better, um, you know, when you work out. At least I do. Now, granted, that's the one thing in COVID that's probably slacked for me, which I'm not a big fan of. I, I'm eating way better. But I'm not, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm working out. 
as much as I should be or much as I like to. So that's something I want to get back on track with. But it's just fun. You know, you could push yourself uh, physically. And it's, it's, it's a real great mental test with yourself to just say, you know what? I want to beat my personal best in the deadlift. Or I set a goal and say, okay, this is what, you know, I want to deadlift 400 pounds. And then you work your way up to that. And then you also have to know your limitations. I got long arms. I'm never going to be good at bench press. I, you know, I, I worked on it, got all the proper technique, but there was still a limitation where the guy, I like to joke the guys with the alligator arms, you know, barrel chested, short arms, they crush it on a deadlift, on, on a uh, bench press, right? So that doesn't mean because some guys are bench pressing more than me that I'm an inferior human. It's just certain body types are better for certain things, right? It's just like in CrossFit. If, if you're a 5'8", five, 5'9", five guy, you got a big advantage over the 6'3". Because uh, when, when you're doing a lot of the movements, you just have a shorter distance to move, and that's a, that's a clear advantage, right? So where I have a runner's body, and when we were doing, you know, 400-meter runs and then get back into just, you know, a, a set of 225 deadlifts, well, I could do really good at that because I could run better than the short guy. So, you know, everybody's body type, you got to find out what works for you. But I just like it for the challenge of, of trying to push yourself to do a little bit better. It's so true. And I mean, just like going back to that theme of like owning who you are, whether it's like uh, following your passion in your career or sticking to your brand and your writing or um, understanding when you have long arms and when you have short arms and what to do with them kind of thing. Um, yeah. When it comes to like, do you ever look back at how you felt you were as a high school student and think back to where you are now and think I would have never expected myself to be where I am now. Like, do you ever have reflections like that? Oh yeah. I never, I never once, well, I didn't even know you could own your own radio show. So, you know, that in itself is, is, is something for sure. Um, you know, my, my, my family life is, is very good. Now I'm lucky. My family's always been close, but you know, like, wife and I get along great you know we have a loving son so that part's awesome you know I always thought I was going to get married but I never wanted to get married young that's what I always knew so um, I stuck to that but um, you know what I think when I look back and I was somebody who I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was younger um, I was always a pretty smart person like when I went back to, to college prep you know like I had 99 in math and you know 90s in English like when you did it when you when I want to put my put work into something I, I think I'm pretty smart but you know in high school I just kind of did enough just to get by I wasn't motivated enough yet but you know I, I look at people that um, sometimes you want to rush your kids you know they're like well you got to go to university at 18 and there's just because the neighbor's son or daughter is going doesn't mean you have to go right and just because your neighbor is is on a, a keto diet doesn't mean it works for your body, right? Like there's so many different things that work for different people. And um, I, I, it just took me more time to figure out what I needed to do. And I, I kind of got a big wake up call actually it came and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. Like I, I grew up Catholic. We went to church and everything, but you know, we were not like a staunch religious family. My mom always taught us to question certain things. And, you know, and like, I, I thought the Bible was a great guideline. I didn't believe everything in it. Like I want you know, I'm not so, like anybody who tries to tell me that the Bible's against gay people. I'm like, really? Well, the Bible also says you can kill your son and all these other things. So what, which, which part are we going to use to, to uh, benefit our argument? So I'm just more about, Hey, I think, you know, don't kill people, try to be nice to people. And, you know, those are the basic uh, things that I learned. But um, I got in a car accident when I was uh, 24, 23. And 
um, just ran a stop sign on a road that I'd driven many times. I don't really remember it. I just remember kind of waking up and I got T-boned on my passenger side and somehow unconsciously drove into the ditch between all these big trees and didn't hit one. And, you know, my car was totally written off and, you know, you're in the hospital and they thought I had a broken neck and turns out I just had nothing. And uh, I just remember afterwards saying, you know what, kind of got a, I wasn't really going anywhere in my life at that time. Um, I was, uh, I was at school. I didn't really like it. I was just kind of, you know, half-assing everything, to be honest. And, and that was kind of my wake-up call where I was like, you know what, somebody's given me a, a, a warning to say, hey, wake up. And so, and it wasn't like I instantly the next day, all of a sudden, here I am and I'm successful. Like that happened in 1996. And, you know, I didn't go back to school until 2000. It took me a few years, but I got on a better path on where I wanted to go in life. And I just, I felt I was, I was more in a direction. I was more responsible than I had been. And so there, like, there's no, some people maybe have that drive and focus right from a young age. And then there's people like me, I was, I kind of call myself a late developer, right. In, in a lot of things, I didn't work out. I didn't eat healthy until I was a little bit older. And, and it's never too late to start. I think too many people think, well, geez, I've never done something. I can't start now. Why? You can always start now. There's, you know, that you can't change your past. You can only change your future. And you can, whether you're 40 years old and you've never worked out or you're, you know, you're 20, you've never worked, you can start tomorrow if you want. And, you know, I think a lot of people are more capable of it. You just, you got to say, you know what, it's up to you. You can't, too often I think now we want to look for excuses not to do something rather than just the reasons why we can do something. I like that. That's awesome. Just in making no excuses just like think about what life is all about and uh don't waste it kind of thing like i i can kind of relate on like that that second chance experience like um i had a close call once and it made me reflect on like okay like do i want to do a job that uh, just pays my bills or do i want a job that feels good that gives me excitement in the morning to wake up and do things and talk to cool people and make people better um, so my, my next question for you, this is a question that I ask every single one of my guests and eventually I put it into a compilation with some cool, inspiring background music. So the pressure is on, um, the question is if you were to give one piece of advice to someone on how to live their life to the fullest in the most authentic way, what would that piece of advice be? Oh, deep question. Uh, I, I think the first thing would be don't get caught up in thinking you have to do it every day, right? I consider myself a hard worker. There's some days I waste hours doing nothing on the computer, right? You just go down a rabbit hole. So the number one thing I would say, is, don't put this expectation that it's got to be every day, every waking moment of your life that you're driven and you're focused. I think what, what you have to be is, is, is find something you're passionate about. And when you're passionate about something, all of a sudden it doesn't feel like work right? It naturally becomes something you want to do. You get up, you're excited for it. So I, I would say, and, and I didn't find mine until I was a little bit older too. So I never, it's not, I, I think too many people get caught up in worrying about how your life is and then comparing it to others. So my best advice, stop comparing to others, do what's going to work for you because somebody can make 200 grand and that's what makes them happy. You can make 60 grand and be just as happy because maybe you need less things. Right. So there's no I don't I don't think there's a, a one set course, but I can only speak for me. Find something you're passionate about when you have passion in your life. 
life's better. Like I'm passionate about the farm. Like I really love it. Like I like going to the farm. You know, it sounds dumb, but you're shoveling cow shit. I get something out of it, right? You clean the pan. Oh, look, the pan's clean. Like I, I like uh, birthing calves. It's a, you know, it's kind of a unique thing when you get to save an animal. If you weren't there, maybe would have died. So that's, and that's very different from my sports talk radio stuff. And, um, you know, that's kind of just fun. Right. You get to babble on about sports and, you know, whatever. Right. So find something you're passionate about. And I think that is going to make you much more happy in life than, than anything else. And, you know, trying to do something on social media, I think find something you're passionate about and life will be better. Definitely. And then there's a second piece to the puzzle here where I ask my guests to give my audience a challenge for the day. And so I'll get you to frame it like this. Your challenge for the day is, and then just whatever you want the challenge to be, you'll tell the audience. So whenever you're ready. Uh, Your challenge for the day will be, be nice to someone who isn't nice to you. It's very difficult, but you, you will end up feeling better. And in a strange way, that person might actually feel better. It's hard. It's very difficult, but if you can do it, good on. That is awesome. So thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.